0: Do you want to start a podcast? I know I did, and you're listening to it thanks to the help of Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's totally free and has everything you need in a podcast in one place. You can record, edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and distribute it to listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more everything you need all in one place completely free what's stopping you go get anchor a goat a greatest of all time like no one we had ever seen before not only is he the greatest of all time but he is also one of the most innovators of his sport that man is a certified genius according to his IQ And has made millions in a sport that wasn't even worth millions when he first started participating in that sport, skateboarding, and we are, of course, talking about the one, the only, Tony the Birdman Hawk. Welcome to the Sports Moments Podcast, where every sports moment deserves its replay. I'm your host, Ethan Reese, your sports historian and giant goofball, which best describes this show sports history and goofballness thrown in there. This is not a Dateline Only Facts podcast. I will joke around till. The most factually accurate story i can but have a good time doing it so now let's sit back and jump into the sports time machine now let's dive into the sport of skateboarding let's go into how it started and how it's grown from a toy in quotes to a full-fledged multi-million dollar industry that it is today and where it has gone so far that it was in the olympics this past year in japan it has grown to be a staple of america and over the world if it's in the olympics it is a worldwide sport and how did it all start? So it started back in the day, in the 1940s, 50s. It really became popular with these crate scooters, is what they called it. And what it was was a little piece of wood, and they put rollerblade skates on the bottom of the piece of wood, and a crate box in the front so to hold on to, and you know, used it like a scooter. And what really became the transition to skateboarding was this man named Calvin Klein. He came out of nowhere into this small town and, you know, he was actually being chased by this guy named Biff and his goonies and they were chasing him. They were, He had disrespected him. And so they were chasing him and he took this away from a kid, a, a, one of these crate boards and ripped off the, the crate and just had the board. And so he was, you know, he started to use the scooter without the handle. So, as we see skateboarding today, kind of that ilk, and he was going around the whole town and the guys couldn't catch him. It was so new to them. It was like almost dumbfounding to everyone watching this that this guy was doing this, something they had never seen before. And he was making everyone look so silly, so, so silly by doing this and it was an incredible sight and he got away and this prompted so many people that saw this to go out and create this thing this skateboarding thing and this is not how skateboarding started no 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 that is back to the future one of the greatest movies ever made for just enjoyment i'm not gonna say it's you know, Oscar worthy or anything like that, but it's an enjoyable movie. So that is not how it started, but it is similar. It is. It did actually start with these crate scooters, which made me go off on that tangent. Those crate scooters that you see in that movie, that is how it started. They were wooden crates attached to the nose of a piece of wood to act as the handlebar with, you know, skates on the bottom. And that was in the late 40s. There's no exact time. This was just kind of handmade and something you saw you could easily put together at your house. It was a DIY, DIY thing, not really sold for people. But in the early 50s, when surfers weren't getting waves and stuff, they really took up the aspect of making this more popular by. Like, let's create something to do when we're not getting waves, No, Dude, no waves, bro. What do you want to do? Let's go surf the sidewalks. This new wave, they go to surf. They create these boards. They put the wheels on them, kind of out of small surfboards. And no one knows when exactly the first board was made. The first manufactured skateboards were ordered by a Los Angeles, California surf shop used to sell for surfers. You know, it was a very niche market because surfing isn't one of those things you can do every single day at every single moment. You can't go like basketball. You can go to a basketball court and you can play every single day, 365 days a year. Surfing. The water has to be right. The timing has to be right. The waves got to be crashing. If they're not, you're kind of out of luck. And this created a new way for them to be active during this time. And a lot of them actually would ride these barefoot like they were surfing. They treated it as they were surfing the sidewalks. So we go to the 1960s. And this is when we first see these small boards that looked like just tiny skateboards and then you had the first skateboard magazine the quarterly skateboarder very original by the way sign me up right now very nice so it was published in 1964 by john wrote the first editorial this is kind of a nice way to sum up what kind of grew the popularity and what kind of how they were trying to grow it. and it said today's are founders in the sport. They're pioneers. They're the first. There's no history in skateboarding. It's being made now by you. So you can see that they're like saying, you can be the innovator. You can be the person that takes this sport. You can be the first. And in 1965, you kind of see people starting to get sponsored. Patty McGee was one of the first sponsored skateboarders Paid by Hubby and Vitapack to travel around the country doing skateboarding exhibitions, demonstrating skateboarding safety tips. And this wasn't like the skateboarding exhibitions you see today. It was more like, you know, kind of driving, riding around the sidewalks. Nothing like you see today. It was more just about the enjoyment of going like fast or, or turning around, spinning like On the ground. He was going across the country showing off at these events. She even made the cover of Life magazine in 1965 and was featured on popular television programs like The Mike Douglas Show, What's My Line, and The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, which really helped people see skateboarding for the first time and grow it more across the country instead of being this surfing type of thing, which is very West Coast. And during this time is when they started to see that this was a viable sport, something that could grow. They were making money with this, growing it more than just a niche. In the 1970s, Frank Nassworth started to develop a wheel made of polyurethane. Prior to this... Wheels were made out of metal or clay, which is very rough, rigid. With metal, they could get dented. You could make sparks. It means very dangerous. And with the clay, they were just not very strong. They would deteriorate very fast, so you couldn't use them as much. But with this polyurethane, it lasted. They would always roll, and it wouldn't mess up your ride. You could roll smooth. In the early 1970s, this is when skate parts started to come around. And... They're very different than the skate parts we had today. This is when everything was called a bowl. And what they meant by a bowl was an old swimming pool, an in-ground pool made out of concrete. And so what they would do is they would get these pools that were rounded. They weren't like a square pool. They were like a, like a bowl. Like if you see a bowl made out of concrete in the ground. So they could skate you know, on the concrete and then go down into the bowl. This was kind of dangerous. You know, you still had you know the ladders and the steps on these things. You couldn't just get rid of it. It was made out of concrete. So they were still there. So they had that danger, but they were big enough that you could get around them and you could go up, you could grind around it, you could go up in the air. It was really the start of the popularity. So they started these mainly in California where they would have these pools which is very different than today where you see these ramps on top of the ground and less going into the ground because it's very difficult to make a skate park where you have to go down than one where you can just be put it on top of something and make like a, a street course as we know it today which they didn't have back then they didn't have that street course you basically had the pool and that was about it and they had great nicknames such as the T bowl the fruit bowl the rabbit hole, the bird bath, the egg bowl, the upland bowl, the sewer slide. Um, I don't know who you are, but I'm not riding the sewer slide. That sounds like you have diarrhea. I'm not doing that. Or maybe it was so scary. It gave you diarrhea. In 1976, they had another advancement in trucks. Now, trucks are the axles of a skateboard. They, they connect the wheels to the board. And at the time they didn't really move very much, but they created these trucks. It moves a little bit as you ride so you can turn. Like, and this was a huge advancement because it just allowed you more maneuverability and better control as you rode the skateboard. And decks started to become wider. And deck is the wood part that we know of the skateboard, the top you stand on. These became wider, kind of going to 10 inches when it started out has like three to four inches when they first started out this allowed you to get your whole foot and get even more control in 1975 skateboarding had risen in popularity through all this time they had smaller competitions and then they grew and grew and grew until they finally had the daymar national championships in 1975 with 500 competitors this competition lasted two days it was sponsored by Bane skateboards and Cadillac wheels Cadillac wheels are those polyurethane wheels that were created while the main event was won by so the main event won by skate legend Russ Hal. but you could see as they got the nation together there were just different styles for areas that people were around and it was great to bring them all together where they could learn from each other and challenge each other and see what they could grow with the whole sport because they could see it firsthand. And then they started to have a professional tier system in these competitions. So you would go to a competition and you would either pick amateur or pro. Pro got you like money. Amateur was more just learning the competition style. So throughout the 70s and up into the early 80s, they started to build More skate parks across the whole country, and you had over 200 skate parks built up through 1982. So, they're building it, they're growing this competition, and they started to experiment with more different types of skateboards but metal, fiberglass, aluminum, composites. But they settled on plywood as the main thing for a skateboard, and that's what we use today mainly, even though they had these. Roughly 200 skateboards Some of them were starting to be torn down Especially the pool ones Because they were taking up so much space And they were so specific You could only have them in certain areas In the beginning of the 1980s Popularity of the sport started to decline Because it was very focused on these pools And that made it very hard For everyone to use And go skateboarding You saw the magazines Everyone in a pool and they put out maybe little videos. It was all in a pool. Because the vert, as they called it, that's what the pool skating was kind of becoming less. But in around 1976, Alan Gilfan developed this move called the Ali, And an Ali is when you you jump with the board is one of the first moves you learn when you're skateboarding but back then they didn't really do this it was something completely new you rode you rode the board the whole time you never jumped with the board and this was very new and this allowed different kind of competitions and allowed more street competitions because you could do this you could skateboard on the street you could do tricks on the street instead of having to have the pool and the sport gained a lot of popularity when back to the future back to the future came out that movie i talked about at the beginning that made skateboarding look cool again it can't, it brought it back it really put it in the eyes of kids cuz this was a movie that was for kids and adults so kids saw that and they thought that was so cool And they wanted to get into skateboarding again. And that's really what helped propel skateboarding back into popularity. In the 90s, that's when the street skating skating is focused more on ground tricks, grinds, slides, and going off ramps and stuff. Rather than the vert where you're jumping up in the air doing a trick up in the air so that's when this really took off in the early 90s and this is when the conic board that we think of today that's when this board really became popular it came popular in the early in the 80s it was starting to be developed but now the popularity of it really grew and in 1995 is when the x game started and this was huge for the sport espn noticed that this was something growing not just in skateboarding there was rollerblading luge bungee jumping they were taking all the sports that were extreme or out of the ordinary into the mainstream giving them a place to grow be able to reach people on a new level and by 2001 it gained so much popularity that people the under the age of 18 rode skateboards more than played baseball and in 2003 the go skateboarding day was founded in southern california by the international association of skate companies and what's interesting is many cities started to develop plans for skate parks in their parks it was growing to the point where they wanted to have Like, the the parks in their towns have these parks, not just independent businesses. It was actually going to free parks, places people could actually do it. Now, skateboarding has ebbs and flows. You know, it rose in the 70s, died a little bit in the 80s, came back in the late 80s, early 90s, died a little bit after that, came back again in the early 2000s and grew grew and then dropped again. And now we're kind of growing up a little bit, but it is still a multi-billion dollar industry. And it's something that kids all over the world do. Anthony Frank Hawk, better known as Tony Hawk, the Birdman, to Nancy and Frank Hawk. And was raised around the San Diego area. And he had two older sisters pat lenore and an older brother named steve and tony was well let's just say you know when you start to get up there in age you just you don't maybe use the same protection as you may have used before maybe not as accurate you kind of get it in your 40s and you're like yeah we, we don't have to worry about this anymore right well if you do that you end up with a tony hawk because that's exactly what happened tony was an accident not planned he had his Two sisters were already in college by the time he was born, and his older brother was already a teenager. So this was not something they were ready for, planned for, or expected at all. And so it was a big shock to them, a big shock to the whole family, and really, it kind of made the dynamic of Tony's life really different. Because even though he had three siblings, which is a, a rather normally large... Family in today's day and age, he viewed it more as he was an only child because his sisters were already out of the house. His brother was not around as much as being a teenager. You were out more and about and not hanging around with your kid. And by the time Tony was really able to play around and walk around and do things, his brother was getting close to finishing high school. So he was raised almost as an only child. And his parents were the ages of what you would more expect your grandparents to be like and less of your parents. But his family really, or our close-knit family, and really, even though there was that age gap, his brothers and sisters treated him like a brother or even closer to a child or a niece and nephew type of relationship they were close but honestly you won't be as close as you are if you had a brother one or two years age difference because you're going through life at different ages at different times in your life and so things are happening very differently they're starting families and things as you are just becoming into your own as a kid (laughs) so very different so his parents frank hawk was a veteran in world war ii and the korean war in the US Navy and he traveled all around the world they were they were army family that moved all over the place the family the kids were army brats they were all over the place and by sheer luck his final place that he was located at was San Diego and they liked it so they stayed and that's great and that I say that's luck because that is where Really, at this time, skateboarding is starting to emerge and starting to grow, as we talked about in the history. This, the '60s, is when really they started to grow in popularity because they're surfing there. And then, what do the surfers do when there's no waves? They get on these boards and surf the sidewalks, as they say. And so he was able to be in the right place at the right time. And he was retired when Tony was done, so that really created. A good, and so Nancy, his mom, took classes at night and eventually got her doctorate. And she would part-time teach business classes. So he comes from a very structured, strong-minded, very a good home, I would say. So Tony was described as a few different ways. One is frustrating. One is a demon boy. <laughs> Uh, Growing up, when he was in elementary school, he was just probably had ADD or something. Even Tony admits he probably has something that's not been diagnosed. But he was very off the wall, energy, always going and very intelligent, you know, because he had all these issues with school and everything because he was so rambunctious and so crazy. They got him tested in a few different things. And one of the things they did was test his IQ. And they realized he was a 144 IQ. And that is borderline genius. 144 is the cutoff for gifted and going into genius. So he was a very intelligent kid. And sometimes very intelligent kids struggle when they are not being challenged in the classroom. You see this a lot, and they go to either skip grades or to a different school. And that's what happened. They're like, you should be put in advanced classes, maybe skip a, skip a grade or two or go to a, a specialty school. And he went to a different school to help his learning and help him grow in his education. And, and that kind of helped a little bit, you know, helped, you know, challenge him in school so he wasn't just off the walls crazy. And he was, he was an active kid. He loved to play around, loved playing sports. You know, he played baseball, and he was intense into baseball. One time struck out, and he was so distraught by striking out, he ran. He ran away. He ran into a ravine, and, and they couldn't even talk him out. His dad had to go physically pick him up and get him out of the ravine because he was so distraught by this. He would dive into these things. He would be very focused into his sports. And he tried different sports, too. He tried surfing um, before he even – thought about skateboarding his his brother his older brother Steve his brother was an avid surfer and he would dabble in skateboarding and different things like that and so he got him into surfing and would take him but he was too scared in the water of the big big waves and San Diego is not known to have big big waves but every now and then you get a good storm you get a good swell they could get pretty decent size and I can understand that that wave coming at you can be a little scary (laughs) and there's sharks there are no sharks at skate parks so if you see a shark at a skate park you need to turn and run because something has gone wrong in the world when he was about eight or nine his brother was skating around with his buddy and they had an extra fiberglass board it was one of those just small boards about two feet long kind of looked like a surfboard and he asked if he could try it, and he did, and he got on, and he was riding. He, no, no idea how to control it, no idea how to turn, no idea how to stop or anything like that, and he ran straight into a fence, and just imagine, you know, the greatest of all time. Bam! Could have easily stopped right there if he didn't enjoy it. <laughs> like, you get hurt doing something for the first time, you'd be like, nah, not for me. I'm good. But... Tony wasn't like that. No, no. He enjoyed it. He enjoyed, you know, the rush of, you know, going fast. He would keep riding and he really enjoyed that aspect. And one of his friends took him to a skate park and him seeing all the skateboarders that were actually good. They they would go in the pool and like go off these little smaller dips in the concrete and get air. And he was just like amazed by it. And he was like, this is what I want to do. I want to do that. And he was laser focused into it he would spend hours and hours and hours skateboarding learning watching wanting to be better at this thing at the same time that he started skating he also picked up the violin and he became very proficient in the violin and he actually got a scholarship to juilliard where he became the architect of the where he became the first violinist in the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And he had great success. And he had, he had the point where he had to decide, do I pick violin or do I pick skateboarding? Because he had the option to do both. And he would be the best at both if he wanted to. And this is absolutely hogwash. He did pick up violin, but he didn't like go on with it. He just played it a little bit and that was it. He was really focused on skateboarding. and would skate up to six hours a day. You know, in his backyard, in his little ramps, he would make. Um, and as he got older, his dad would take him to the skate park, or his brother would take him to the skate park, and they would spend hours there. And that first skateboard he got has actually been donated to the Smithsonian. Bigger names in the sport at the time: Stacey Peralta started the Bones Brigade, and this was a skateboarding team, a group that would skate together, work together, do different things together and go to competitions together, these people, and just helping them grow in the sport. And it wasn't just Tony. It was names like Deep Cabarro, Alan Guilford, Lance Montana, Rodney Mullen, Mike McGill, Steve Rocco, Tommy Garrow. So he's skating with them, and in 1980, while skating with the Bone Brigade, he starts to do some amateur competitions, and... You know, making a name for himself, challenging himself. He's really only winning when he's at his home skate park. When he goes to other skate parks, he doesn't win as much. But he, he still plays. It's because they were very different. It's not like today you have the half pipe. And it's the same half pipe wherever you go. No, back then, the pool was different wherever you went. The pool you skated at was always different. And so it was a challenge to kind of learn that and learn the different things you could do at those locations. When he was 12, he got his first sponsorship from Dogtown Skateboards. To get a sponsor at 12 is crazy. He was turning heads because he didn't have the power. These guys that were closer to being men, he was a little kid. And so these guys that were actually closer to being men, you know, were able to fly a little bit or like get more speed, but he could jump in the air and spin around a lot more than anyone ever could and do more ollie type tricks than people were thinking to do at that time. And it was really changing the game of the sport from what it was where about a bunch of power moves to a bunch of uh, spins and tricks of things you can do in the air. And like one thing, like he would do the ollie tricks while everyone else was holding onto the board and bending down to hold onto the board to make sure the board didn't fall off and he wouldn't even do that he had so much control over the board is what set him apart from everyone else so in the 1980 his dad founded the California Amateur Skateboarding League, and this was just you know an air a way for him to help support his son, get him into competitions, get him involved uh, even more into the sport. His dad was so supportive. This isn't the only organization he started. His dad w- saw that his son had talent in this, and that he was beating other kids four, five, six, seven, eight years older than than his son, and he was doing it consistently in 1982 hawk turns pro at the age of 14 and he he does so by not exactly what you think turning pro means we think of pro as you know you declare you get drafted or you sign a contract with the team or something like that this was very different it was you go to the event the that where they were putting on and you check a box amateur or pro and that—that's really it. And he says he just kind of looked back at Stacy, kind of his coach, his mentors Like a- after he checked pro, and like that's what you want to do? Do it, man. He's not Jamaican. Why did you just say mon <laughs> What? I was trying to sound, you know, skateboard like, like yeah, bro, alright. And, and I just threw in "man." So there was about thirty-five skaters skating pro at that competition, and he finished third and that's big. I mean this he's 14 and he's still kind of small. He hasn't hit his growth spurt yet. So he's very small. This year also he appeared on the cover of Thrasher magazine shortly after he turned pro. But he was always an outsider. You know skateboarding is wasn't mainstream at the time. So in school he was kind of you know more nerdy type of kid. Still got bullied, still got picked on even though he was doing great things out of school, you know being a professional skateboarder. Winning events, winning championships, you know, it wasn't something he bragged about or did. You, everyone knew he's skateboarding because it's all he talked about, all he cared about, all he, they ever saw him doing. But they didn't really care. And he was kind of an outsider in the pro skating thing. Like I said, he was smaller, younger than all the other guys. And they thought his tricks were like flippy tricks. And they called him cir- a circus skater. And he would only win contests in his home park in Del Mar, his home skate park. We had trouble adapting to unusual terrain. It got to the point where he would go, he would have his parents beg his parents to drive him to where the competition would be like weeks ahead of time so he could just skate there and get used to it because it is a challenge to go to a new thing. And he was so focused on what he was doing and being correct to where he was that going to a different place was a lot more difficult. So in 1983, his dad, you know, started that one one amateur league now he's starting the national skateboarding association and this is again a way to help his son that one that one was amateur before now we're pro we gotta get some pro things going on here and they create a world competition national and world competition so that it's not j- so he is challenged but also it gives his son a chance to succeed in the sport he loves because at the time there wasn't a real strong governing body in skateboarding. Things were kind of put on here, put on there. Wasn't a cohesive thing. He made this so that there could be consistency and his son had a chance to thrive. And it was great because Tony won 12 consecutive world championships for that organization. And that organization was around for 12 years. So he won it every single year it was around. And he spent the summer after his ninth grade doing demos across the world in Australia and Europe and Canada and just even in different states. And he got even more sponsors as he did this to help grow. And he was making more and more money. And at that age, he was making, at the age of 15, he was making $3,000 a month at the age of 15. which is about equivalent to $8,000 today a month. That's crazy for a kid to be making that much money at that time. And this year he won the spring national contest and the summer world series contest. So he was winning national events, national and worldwide events at the age of 14, 15. And it, it was really on his way. And by the age of 16, was, he was widely considered the best skateboarder in all the world. So he was just growing his himself. And the next year, he won the Sudex Pro skateboarding challenge, the Booney Ramp Contest, with whereas where you go out into two of the boonies and they got a ramp for you to go wee wee, wee all the way home. And he was also, you know, won two different things at the NSA summer series. So he was winning and winning just so in 1985, his senior year of high school, he's still making he's each year he's making more and more money. he's getting more sponsors because people are because businesses are getting into the skateboarding game and noticing that the trend is skateboarding and that it's growing in popularity. So he's making even more money. He buys a house his senior year. So now he's got a house, he's got money, things are going well for Tony Hawk. And what would you do as a guy in high school, finishing up high school, and you're getting out on your own as an adult, what do you do? Of course, you go to be in your first movie. Yes, that is correct. His first movie ever was called Thrashing. Skateboarding was gaining popularity, and they were starting to make movies about it and this grew the popularity even more. Now this movie is is a skateboarding movie, less about tricks and jumps and all that, it's a, a racing movie, downhill racing. Not something Tony ever really did that much, but he was a professional skateboarder and of course he could go downhill and he had so much control In the tricks he was doing, of course, like going downhill wasn't an obstacle for him. And the star of this movie, Josh Brolin. Thanos, the man from the MCU with the glove and the snap. This is one of his first movies. Josh Brolin's first movie was... One of the greatest movies of all time. The Goonies. Goonies never say die. Yeah. He made The Goonies a year before. So he's riding high. He's successful. He's starting his career and it's starting out great. And this is his second movie and he is the lead character. Now this movie basically is the plot from the loose outsider comes to town. The gang of skateboarders that's already in town don't want anything to do with him, but of course he falls in love with the sister of the gang leader. When I say gang, I put in quotes, it's not a gang. But back then, that's what they called it. And so he falls in love with her, the Obviously, the gang leader doesn't like it. They challenge each other to a race. He wins the race, gets the girl, and we all live happily ever after. And this is the plot to most skateboarding movies. So this was his first movie, and he he was just one of the skate competitors in the movie. And this year, you know, he continues to win. He wins the NSA contest, the NSA Expo in Vancouver. Oh Canada Where some reason they skate They're probably pretty good because they can snowboard everywhere Okay and he also won the NSA Chicago blowout the NSA Bear cover bro pro contest and I don't know if I wanna know what that is. Are for first are they going bare chested? Is that what they mean by bear or Are they dressed as bears? Because if they are dressed like bears, I want to go see that contest, and that contest needs to be on every single day. Could you imagine going to a contest and seeing bears skateboarding? Be the best contest ever. The next year, skating is growing in popularity. They're making movies about it. And Hawk is making even more and more money. But then... He starts to feel pressure, a burnout. Remember, he, he's about 19 years old. He's been doing this for seven, eight years in competition, traveling all over and really struggling to keep it all together. And he continues to win. And that pressure of winning consistently – when you win, there's no going up. All you can do is keep winning. And there's always a challenge. There's a reason why you don't see a whole lot of teams repeat championships over and over and over. Because that is so difficult to do because you, you've done it. And you have to have a secondary drive to do it again. And that drive can be hard. And this is the first time Tony Hawk retires. And he retires from competition. He calls up one of his buddies. Um, he calls up Stacy Peralta, and he says, "You know what? This isn't uncommon. This is happening to other guys. So talk to some of the other guys, and, and let's. I don't want you just to give up on the sport, but talk to these other guys, and maybe you'll get some insight." And so he calls up some of his friends, and they're like, "You're you're on the mountaintop. You're, you're the king of the mountain. Just don't give up. The Thing is, you're not looking to win." You need to look to innovate. You need to look to push, to do things that have never been done before. That's what you need to look for. Winning shouldn't be your priority. And when he hears that, that's really when he kind of turned things around. He unretires. And and this year he wins the NSA ramp and rage where you have to be on steroids and then you have to go down a ramp. It is crazy. Um, There's so much fighting and rage going everywhere. And that's not true at all. But that is what it's called. The Skate Wave International Professional Championship, where you actually skate in water like a really cool person. That's not true at all. Just the Skate Wave is what it's called. And the NSA Fair Pro Championship Contest. So he continues winning. He continues skating. He gets back into it. And now he's not focused on winning. He is focused on innovating. And really getting himself to a whole new level. And by doing that, he ends up being in one of the greatest movies of all time Police Academy 4. Wow. And by Tony Hawk's mission. This is the greatest skateboarding movie, or the most accurate skateboarding movie ever made, because they didn't hinder them in what they were doing. It was him and many of the Bone Brigade, and they were basically given the green light to do whatever they want. And so they were able to really go out and do some interesting things. And interestingly enough, David Spade is in this movie and he, his stunt double was supposed to be Tony Hawk, but Tony Hawk decided to grow like 18 inches and gets up to six, three. If you know anything about David Spade, he's about five foot tall. So that would be a terrible stunt double. You see him on the skateboard and he grows a whole foot when he gets on the skateboard. So he ends up just being a side character and they get another double for David Spade. But it is interesting that Police Academy 4, and they really kind of grew it. And honestly, if you have you seen it? I haven't seen it. <laughs> I've seen the first and then second Police Academy. It can be fun, but there's like 18 of them or something like that. It's just a never ending story. So the next year, he really focuses on competition. He goes into the air, air, wake. The Airwalk Skate Fest Contest. He wins the NSA Gotcha Grind Contest where they go around and do pranks at, on skateboards and the best prank wins. That's not what it is. But gotcha! He wins the Capital Burnout and the, the Ramp right as well. In 1989, he was making close to $200,000. Skateboarding is still on the rise. It's going to fall off hard soon. It is going to fall off soon. But this year, he also wins the NSA Vert competition, the Titus World Cup, the NSA Pro Finals. In 1990, Tony Hawk marries his college sweetheart. He marries his high school sweetheart, Sidney Dunbar. And they move into his house because he already has a house. He's making money. He's bringing in the bread from skateboarding of nothing. Nonetheless. But this is the year. This year, he also wins Thrasher Magazine's first Skater of the Year award. Who else would you give it to? He's the best. Cause he's the- some things do though. The air brings him down, and he breaks a lot of bones. <laughs> he gets a lot of concussions. This year, though, nineteen nineties, when skateboarding starts to nosedive a little bit, money starts to dry up, and. You know, he he talks to Stacy Peralta, you know, his mentor, and he's like, guys are just falling off. They can't skate because they're not making a living. They have to go get a job. And Tony didn't want to be like that. And he's like, Stacy wanted it's like, you'll be the last one to feel it. You're gonna get money more than anyone else. You're the best. But you're gonna feel it. And just little by little, each month half his check would be gone. Half his check would be gone. Losing sponsors, sponsors pulling out because skateboarding is just dying at this point. Why? You know, safety concerns from parents is a big one. And it just, this is a big boom for real estate and they're taking over skate parks, knocking down skate parks. So there are less and less skate parks and then people start to go to the street to do things and tony's not much of a street skater he can do it and he he's pretty successful he's not awful at it by any means he's won competitions but he's not number one like he is on the vert getting air and everything like that so this year he's struggling for money but he's doing about all he can in competitions you know he wins the delmar fairgrounds vert the in the NSA Back to the City, and the NSA Wheels for Wishes contest. He wins those events, but the checks are smaller. Everything's getting smaller. So he goes in with a fellow skateboarder um, named Welder, Wellinder, and they launch Birdhouse Projects, a company that manufactures skateboards, skates, and accessories. And this is a brand that he started kind of based off his nickname Birdman, which is based off his last name being Hawk, which is based off being incredibly lucky having such a cool name. Come on, not fair. So, that Birdhouse Project's still around today, still one of the major skate brands that there is today. 1991, he's really doing whatever he can to make money. He wins the NSA powwow where they skate with dogs. He wins the NSA Kona Springs. He wins the NSA capital burnout where they skate with the board on fire. He wins the Titus world cup and he wins the holy masters where you, where you skate as a nun and he wins the NSA pro finals. He won those contests. Now, whether there was dogs or fires or just skating as a nun, I don't know about that. But he did win those. In 1992, Tony declares bankruptcy. In 1992, he almost declares bankruptcy for Birdhouse and, and himself. He's struggling. the The brand isn't making money. He's not making money. He's still skating and not, he was very close to getting a nine to five job, an office job. And it's great, but he's still skating and he gets injured consistently, having to go to the hospital, going to the doctor, breaking fingers, little bones here and there, getting concussions. This happens a lot. But I mean, at least this year, his son Riley Hawk, his first son, is born in December 6, nineteen ninety-two. And Riley ends up being a professional skateboarder himself, taken after d roll dad. And this year he wins the NSA Kona Pro contest, the NSA spring fling, and he wins the street contest. Like I said, Street was taken over and he wins it. Cause he's focused. Even though he isn't on the vert, he can still win no matter what it is. You give him a board, he can win. So in 1993, Tony Hawk mortgages and eventually sells his house to finance his business. And it puts a real strain on the family. He's out going, traveling everywhere just to make a buck for the family. He's not around. He's focused on skateboarding, whether it's the business or learning or doing tricks, trying to find a way to make money for the family. So he's not around. And that wrecks havoc on his marriage and his family. And that year, him and Sydney get divorced. And this is a trend that kind of happens a lot with his marriages. He gets so much into his sport and skateboarding and traveling and he's so focused into it he kind of lets his his family on the side he never like is by all accounts he's not mean or anything like that he's just not there and that's hard to do that's hard to do as a family this year he wins the world championship and the titus world championship so not not as much skating and everything like that so in 1994 1995 his father gets diagnosed with lung cancer. It's a tough pill. It's a tough thing to go through. You know, he he loves his father. Their whole family is a close-knit family. And it's really hard. He he didn't skate very much. He didn't skate in 94. He really didn't, or he didn't win any competitions. He did skate. But, you know, his focus was on his family. He wanted to be there because he didn't want to be traveling who knows where, in Germany, Afghanistan, Iran, China, wherever he is traveling to, he didn't want to be that far away, and then his father pass. It was difficult. And in 1995, unfortunately, his father does pass. It's a tough year. It's a tough thing for him. It's very tough. Very close to his father. The whole escape. The whole skate community is devastated because he, you know, helped grow the sport throughout the 80s. He helped grow the sport throughout the 80s. And, you know, sadly, he was lost. But this year, maybe the biggest year, The biggest event, the biggest turning point for Tony Hawk. Basically, this changed everything for him. Skateboarding was about to blow up. The X Games. ESPN didn't have a lot of sports they could hang their hat on. Football, baseball, basketball, the major sports were all controlled by the major networks. ESPN was a small cable network. And even though they are a sports-focused network, they weren't playing a whole lot of sports. They were just reviewing and watching clips, everything like that. So now they wanted to get actual sports. And what sports weren't getting broadcast, what sports were around and had some popularity but weren't getting shown on network television. And that was skating, skateboarding, bungee jumping, like so many different type of sports. Basically, any extreme type of sports, they took all those sports and they made an Olympic-like competition. And in 1995 was the first X game. And Tony Hawk was about to get to the point where he was a household name. So he competes in the street competition and he takes silver. You know, that's pretty good. That wasn't his main main deal, and he still takes silver. But he takes gold in the vert, and this continues him taking gold at X Games year after year after year until he eventually retires. And this changes everything. It boosts skateboarding and these sports to a whole new level. Everyone could see it. Everyone could see the excitement of it. You get kids out there wanting to skateboard. You have a mentor now. Someone to look forward to. A role model in Tony Hawk. And that was a great thing for the sport. And Tony starts to make. Bake. So in. He's riding high on success. So what do you do? You go get married for the second time to Aaron Lee. And he has two more sons, Spencer and Keegan with Aaron. And they stay together for a while. We'll get to that. But they stay together for a while. And, of course, he becomes a stunt double in another great epic movie, Escape from L.A. He is the surfing stunt double for Peter Fonda. In the tsunami scene. And this year he's in the Hard Rock Cafe Vans World Championships. Wins that. And wins the Triple Crown Skate Contest as well. The next year he wins the Triple Crown Contest again. And wins the X-Game Vert Doubles. With his good friend Andy McDonald. And they take home gold. And they do this quite a bit. And he also takes home gold making the quote unquote perfect run and he scores a 97 point5 one of the highest scores ever recorded they go on a hundred point scale 1998 of course he launches his clothing line because everyone wants to look like Tony Hawk this is when you begin to see him rub rub a little, people a little bit the wrong way not In a bad way. But he puts his name on everything. It's Tony Hawk this. Hawk that. All over the place. His name is his business. It really is. And he wins the Sean Miller Memorial Pro Contest. Wins the X Games doubles again. Wins the Vans Triple Crown. The Titus World Cup. And the Hard Rock Cafe Vans World Championship. Yeah, In 1999... This was one of the biggest, most important years of his life. So this year, Tony Hawk in July 27th becomes the first skateboarder in competition to land a 900. It's two and a half aerial rotations to spin around once, spin around twice, and turn around again. All on one jump, all in one motion. Now he doesn't land this easily doesn't do it quickly (laughs) it takes him 11 tries he wasn't planning on running this trick watch his watch this video watch it google it on youtube (laughs) youtube it and watch his focus you will see his focus you'll see why he is the greatest of all time in skateboarding because you see him go try fall get up go again his eyes are so focused it is almost like there's no one else there he never even looks at anybody, says anything to anybody. He just continues to go, try again, try again, try again. And then he lands it And the crowd. And it is just a crazy experience. So to go on that high, it's going around everywhere. Everyone, mainstream, is when Tony Hawk's name is everywhere. Everyone is like, Tony Hawk this, Tony Hawk that. He is now a celebrity all over, not just in the skating world. And then in September of that year, this is the year video games were getting very popular. You had PlayStation, and it was becoming a huge thing. And that year, Tony Hawk Pro Skater was released. And this is the most successful, one of the most successful video game series of all time. There's 18 different things and then spin-offs of it, even more. So there is a lot of games. A lot. And he just never stopped and he helped a lot in developing this. He wanted to make it realistic, make it something kids could enjoy, go play it and then go do it outside because it was realistic like that. So he was very involved in the creation of this and it became, you know, the one of the top 5 sellers that year and every almost every iteration after that becomes a top 5 game. And this is this is when it blew up for him. Everything blew up. He also started 900 Films, a video production company that later developed the Ride channel that he has on YouTube, which has you know over a million subscribers. And this is the year he retires. And this is kind of for good. He still competes here and there in the X Games and things like that. But he, he retires. And you know, at that point, he had won over 70 competitions, and he was ready to go. And this is the year also his son Spencer is born, his second son. Wow. Big year. One of the biggest year. And he did party like it was 1999. And he probably wants to party like that every time because probably no other year compared to this year for him. 2000, he releases his autobiography hawk occupation border. Hawk occupation colon skateboarder it's published and it becomes a new york times bestseller so not only is he one of the greatest skateboarders of all time he's a best-selling author and in 2001 his son keegan is born so now he has three sons and life is going great So great that he appears on one of the most underrated shows of all time. One of the most underrated cartoons of all time. Rocket Power. And he appears as himself. The Birdman. Where they go to the Hawk's Nest. And they they meet him. And he plays himself. Cartoon version. And it's a great experience. Great show. I could watch that show today. It is one of the greatest shows. And it grew the sport even more. In 2002, he competes in the X Games again. And of course he wins why not this is a big year too he begins to transition out of competing a little bit more and getting into he starts the Tony Hawk Foundation and this is a foundation that aims to get you know skate parks built in low income areas for youngsters and this this is a great organization that's you know made over 600 skate parks donated millions of dollars to do so and to help grow the sport and grow it to people that couldn't do it anywhere else. That same year, he, he starts the Boom Boom Huck Jam extreme featuring extreme sports from skateboarding, BMX to freestyle, motocross all over the place. They take over an arena and they, there's jumps everywhere, people going crazy. It is an event like no other at the time and it was great to see very successful 31 city tour all over the place great for him this year also he appears in a couple of big movies triple x with vin diesel makes a cameo in there and he also appears in jackass the movie he appears in every jackass movie and it's just interesting because that's the kind of people jackass most of those guys are skateboarders or some type of skateboarders. So it makes sense why he's in there too. He's not as crazy as them. He doesn't do as crazy events. He usually just does tricks and pranks for them. In 2003 becomes so popular that he is named Nickelodeon's choice for male athlete of the year. Not only that year, but the next year as well. Two years in a row, male athlete of the year by kids he's loved by kids love 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 by kids 2005 he makes the mainstream what every mainstream famous person does he appears on the simpsons as himself of course because he normally appears as himself or a skateboarder person so he appears as himself again the next year he appears in drake and josh movie go to hollywood And Jackass number two, both as himself. He just is, loves to be in these movies as himself. No reason why not. He doesn't have to do a whole lot of acting. He basically plays himself, and he just enjoys being in that element. In 2008, Tony Hawk Big Spin is built in three Six Flag parts in That's big. He has a ride named after him. It's since been named something else because it's licensed because it's named Tony Hawk something. And anything named Tony Hawk something is owned by Tony Hawk. And everything he owns is named Tony Hawk something pretty much. (laughs) You kind of notice this. So it's named something else now. (coughs) But for a while, it was named the Tony Hawk Big Spin. In two thousand and nine Tony Hawk rode his skateboard in the grand foyer at the White House on Father's Day host with the celebration hosted by Barack Obama. and the first time someone was authorized to skate in the white house and this year he was also in the inaugural class for the skateboarding hall of fame why wouldn't he be he is the babe ruth the michael jordan of course he needs to be in that inaugural class In twenty eleven Tony Hawk again gets into the amusement park business. Six Flags Six Flags America opens up a water slide named the Tony Hawk Half Pipe. Rename the Half Pipe later because they stopped licensing it. <laughs> but for a while, it was named the Tony Hawk slide because he puts his name on everything. In 2012, he participates in the first ever vert skating demonstration in India in front of a huge crowd of fans. This is something to grow the sport worldwide. And many Middle Eastern countries, this is not something that's done. And there's a great small documentary about... And there's a great documentary called... Learning to skate in a war zone if you're a girl. And this is in Afghanistan, a great documentary, where women aren't allowed, it's illegal for women to play sports. But skateboarding to them is not a sport. It's a toy. So they have put in these programs to help teach girls how to skateboard because they don't have any other sports they can really play and this, they can actually play. It is such a loophole for them and it gives them the opportunity to participate in sports. And it's a great thing. Great documentary, won the Oscar the year it came out. And this is, you know, one of the first things to grow it in the middle East. In 2014, Tony Hawk rode a real life hoverboard, floated for a couple inches above the ground and experienced, an experience inspired by Back to the Future 2, where Back to the Future 1 helped grow the sport and Back to the Future 2, Really wants hoverboards to be a thing. And I want hoverboards to be a thing. That is the coolest. Not those little things with two wheels that you stand on. Like an actual hoverboard where you get inches off the ground. That would be cool. In 2015. Tony Hawk skates the world's first downward spiral loop. A hexagonal shaped ramp. This is you might might see it. You can YouTube it. It's basically him going around a spiral, like sideways. It's it's impressive. It, it's it's a it's a sight to be seen. And in that same year, he marries his fourth wife, Kathy Coleman. And this is the wife that he currently has, and that seems to be good. <laughs> now, maybe that's because he's not skating as much. Maybe that's because he's more of a family man now. Maybe we'll see. Hopefully, this lasts. I want I want Tony to find love. You know, sometimes you have to work your way through a few people to find love, and I hope he finds him. This year, he's also in the movie Daddy's Home. He's the stunt double for Will Ferrell in a scene that is totally fake, totally not real, unrealistic at all. <laughs> but it is just funny to see him. You know, stunt double for. Will Ferrell, not, not someone you would think he would stunt double for. In 2016, 17 years after the world's first 500, the world's first 900, Tony Hawk repeats the stunt at age 48. That is crazy. I look at a lot of forty eight year olds and I don't even think they could like get on the skateboard without falling down. <laughs> And that year he joins with Kelly Slater in announcing the construction of a vertical skate to serve spiral wooden ramp at the surf range. The idea is to have the ramp exit and dive directly into a wave takeoff zone. It's an interesting concept. So just, you know. Joining and trying different things is what he's doing And That year he also appears in the Eric Andre show the next year he appears in of course a great classic Sharknado 5 because They're all classics, right? (laughs) This he actually plays a character called the Hawk which is basically himself. He also appears in Trailer Park Boys as as well. In 2018 he helps the people that make emojis design a skateboard emojis because the first one they designed looked like one of the ones from the 80s with a point and only one kick part on the board. And then he was like, you know, that's not what we buy anymore. <laughs> so he helped redesign that. And at age 50, he embarked on the quest to land 50 vertical trips that he created or pioneered. And that quest was, of course, accomplished. He c- continues to skate. And though he does not do the 900 anymore, he retired that at age 48. But he still can do a lot of different tricks. In 2020, he appeared in The Mass Singer. He was voted off the first day. <laughs> he wasn't terrible, I've seen it. He plays the elephant and he's not terrible but he's facing off against professional singers most of the time and they were better <laughs> you know he wasn't just terrible but he's just one of the first ones off in 2021 he landed a 700 so he can still land a seven, he landed a 720 so he can still land a 720 at the age of 52 And this year, he briefly came out of retirement to compete in the X-Game Vert Best Trick Event. And he finished fourth place out of nine competitors. He was beating kids not even half his age, a third, a fourth his age. (laughs) That is actually insane. And in 2022, he appeared at the legendary Oscars that is made legendary not because he was a presenter which people argued why he should be a presenter because he's not really an actor but he's appeared in 66 movies and tv shows and video games and stuff so he's got a long imbd so it makes sense for him to be there and no one really cared after will smith slapped chris rock so that cool controversy was squashed pretty quick. So that is Tony Hawk from what he is now, from what he was to what he is now. He still skates four to five times a week. He's always skating and he just never, never stops. He's going to stop at some point. And a lot of his friends are trying to get him to stop skating or at least stop pushing himself to land some of these tricks. Cause they're still very intense, hard tricks that, not even novice people can do or beginners you know you still have to be like almost competition level to lay in these tricks and they they want him to stop because he's had so many broken bones concussions and things like that and it just he's old he needs to <laughs> at 53 this is some stuff you shouldn't be doing but you know he's had a long accomplished life and he's just one of those guys that is the friendliest person out there. He he's gotten popular in recent years, where he's famous, but people don't know why he's famous. <laughs> he he uh, has this string like um, of you don't know me or you know me, but who am I on social media? Where people are like you're famous. Are you Tom Brady? Are you are you a surfer? Who are you? like they know him. They recognize him. They don't can't put the name to it. He's not as mainstream as he was 20 years ago after he named after the first Tony Hawk game came out and he landed the 900. He was all over the place. Now he's just kind of around a little bit. Skaters know who he is, but not your everyday person knows who he is as much as they used to. And so it's just interesting, but he just never gives up. He's very supportive, still growing his. His foundation, and he really focuses on that, and you know spending more time with his kids and his family than he ever did before. and that that's how it should be. You get to that point, you should really do that. And you know Tony Hawk is more than just a name. even though he throws his name on every business he does, he's more than a name. He is the greatest of all time, one of the most innovators of any sport there's ever been. He created over a hundred different sports and you know created you know a, a whole video game industry for the skate community and it is just a, amazing how much he innovated grew the sport to what it is today and he will always be remembered as a great great skater thank you for listening to the sports moments podcast i hope you enjoyed today's tale If you did, please give us a review or five stars or wherever you listen to. It helps us grow our community and help tell more engaging stories. You can follow us at Sports Moments Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We post pictures about stories, what happened today in history, different things like that. Just try to be a good sports overall social media company. We still are a new Podcast. We're still growing, still working on a few kinks, still working on our website. So if you would like to contact us with a great topic or your view on any episode we've done, you can email us at sportsmomentspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And as we grow, we're looking for great youth sports charities to donate to. Because I think it's important to give the youth a chance to learn about sports and green that love so they can become sports historians as well so if you have a a great charity that you are involved in or you think we should help out please contact us as well again thank you for listening and come back next week for another episode of the sports moments podcast where every sports moment deserves its replay